The title of our message today is How to Control Your Mind. I wanted to name it Mind Control, but that's a whole different thing. But if I did name it Mind Control, it would be How to Control Our Mind. Because first of all, it sometimes is hard. We have intrusive thoughts. We think about things that we shouldn't think about. We think about things that we don't want to think about. We perhaps don't understand what the Bible teaches about our thoughts and how they affect our actions. And once we learn the connections between the type of things we are thinking about and the actions that we're doing and how the Bible teaches us to get our thoughts under control, suddenly we see the importance of these things. And, and the Bible says a whole lot about them. There's a passage in Galatians that says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. It's one of the key verses that I use when I talk to someone who's struggling with temptation. They want to get the temptation out of their lives and they want to because they're a genuine Christian. A genuine Christian, the Bible says, if anybody loves Christ, they want to do the things he says. They want to do his commands. And it doesn't mean we always do them, right? We know that. The Bible says the flesh battles against the spirit and the spirit battles against the flesh so that we don't do the things we want. And I think every one of us could go, amen. We've been there. We want to do things in the spirit, but we're battling against our flesh and we just don't end up doing the things that we want. The funny thing about that verse is, is it talking about the things you want to do in the flesh that you don't do because of the spirit? Is it talking about the things in the spirit that you want to do that you don't do because of the flesh? And maybe it's both of them. Maybe it's just like we don't do the things we want to do because we got this battle that is raging inside of us. Now, the Bible, we're going to see, teaches us that the way we get our actions in line to do the things that God wants us to do is to, first of all, get our minds on Christ. Begin thinking the way that we're supposed to be thinking. And there is a real power in affecting our actions. We also know that the enemy somehow, and I don't know all the details of this, there are so many things that are mysteries, but somehow shoots fiery darts at us. And because it's the shield of faith that puts out these fiery darts, faith puts out doubts. He's shooting doubts into our mind. When he tempted Eve, he said, has God said you can't eat of any of these trees in the garden? He, he put doubts in our mind. God's not as good as you think God is. He gave you all these trees. You can't eat from any of them. That's what he said. And she said, no, God said we could eat of any of them, but we can't look at or touch the tree in the middle of the garden. So she changed God's word and, and Satan changed God's word. And that's a deadly combination. When we think God's word says something different and when the enemy is firing at us something different than what is in God's word, then we can find ourselves failing. And so we learn how to stand proper and stand strong when we get our minds under control, when we finally start thinking the way that we're supposed to. I found a study that talked about thoughts and really about the wandering mind, the way that our, our minds wander. Uh, this is, it gives the people of the study here in a moment, but I just want to read you a little bit of this study. It says people spend 46.9% of their waking hours thinking about something other than what we are doing. That means there's a lot of you right now that are thinking about something else different than what I'm saying right now. 
And then it says, and this mind wandering typically makes you unhappy. This is an interesting finding. When we are not in control of being in the present, having our minds in the right place, this study discovers that, uh, that people typically are unhappy. It goes on to say, uh, so says the study used an iPhone web app to gather 250,000 data points on subjects. That's each individual person. 250 data points on subjects, thoughts, feelings, and actions as they went about their lives. It goes on to say, a human mind is a wandering mind, and a wandering mind is an unhappy mind. Kingsworth and Gilbert, these are the two psychologists and psychiatrists that did this study, uh, write, the ability to think about what is not happening is a cognitive achievement that comes with an emotional cost. Mind wandering is an excellent predator of people's happiness. Kingsworth says, in fact, how often our minds leave the present and where they tend to go, meaning the kind of things you're thinking about when you're not thinking about where you're at, where they tend to go is a better predator of our happiness than the activities in which we are engaged. So we might think we're not happy because I'm at work and I'm doing whatever I'm doing. But this study finds that our thoughts have a ton to do with whether or not we are really happy. Now, it doesn't surprise me that the Bible says a lot about what we think about, how we think, the kind of things that we are supposed to set our mind on. And if it affects our happiness, we're going to see that the Bible tells us that it affects our peace, that our peace is disturbed. And this is what we should do. Remember, this is in the context of what we studied last Wednesday, which is be anxious for nothing, but everything with prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. That's and then we have this text. So let's read the text first. Then I want to go over a few scriptures that talk about the mind so we can just get a good understanding. Then I want to come down and break down this text, right? So let's start with Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. Paul says, finally, brethren, he's getting near the end of the book. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Eight different positive things that he gives you to meditate on. And then he says, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. So he talks about putting our minds where our minds are supposed to be and then following the example of the things that he does to affect what we do. And this is what we're going to see in Scripture, that where our when our minds are in the right place, the things that we are doing is in the right place. And then the promise from this text is, and the God of peace will be with you. And we want God with us. The God of peace will be with you. Now, listen to just a few things that the Bible says about our minds and our thoughts. Isaiah 26, 3, it's so much like our text. This is, a, this is a passage that I used last week to talk about our anxiety, but it translates over to our thoughts. 
And no wonder, because verses 6 and 7 deal with anxiety, verses 8 and 9 deal with your thought life. And so Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts you. When we put our mind on God, he keeps us in perfect peace. When we put our minds on our problems, when we put our minds on worldly things, when we put our minds on sinful things, we are not kept in perfect peace because we are not trusting in him. In our study this last weekend, we talked about spiritual warfare. We talked about the fact that we are in a battle and that the very end of that armor passage in Ephesians says, stand and pray. Put on your armor and then stand and pray. Well, your mind and what goes on in your mind is another part of spiritual warfare. And this is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It's another spiritual warfare passage. If you decided, I want to do a study on what the Bible says about spiritual warfare. Because I'll tell you, most books written about spiritual warfare and, and uh, deliverance ministries don't teach what the Bible says. They've got all kinds of strange things they're into that are not biblical at all. But if you just wanted to do that, this would probably be the second passage that you would go to. It's the passage that starts out, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, not fleshly, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. The enemy wants to get in your life and he wants to establish a stronghold in your life. And a stronghold is behavior that is sinful and difficult to change. And it's hard to change a stronghold. And that makes sense. If you were struggling with a weak hold, you really got problems. And so we would expect that. And it goes on now to tell us about the mind, where our, what part our mind plays in this role of the spiritual warfare that we have that pulls down strongholds. So it says in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, casting down arguments. Again, here I think that the enemy's shooting thoughts into our minds. How does he do that? Does he have access into our minds? I think so. When Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? Jesus said, well, you're the Christ. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father in heaven did. So he's telling them that God communicated a thought into the mind of Peter, and he had a revelation that came directly from God. I like that God can give us thoughts that can speak to us, can interact with us. So then Jesus begins to talk about his death. And Peter gets uppity now. I mean, God speaks to him. So Peter goes to Jesus. Jesus is telling the disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles. I'm going to die. And Peter goes and stops him and says, may it never be, Lord. This is Peter. Remember the one who hears from God. And I want to tell you that you don't, you're not, this is, these things should never be. And Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. So now somehow Satan had communicated to Peter that he should be opposed to the death on the cross. And so he connects him to the work of Satan. So, Pe so Peter is confused. 
Is this thought from God or is this thought from Satan? And I'll add in, is this thought from God? Is this our own thought or is this the thought of the enemy? And I think that is the world that we live in. And that's why we have to go back to the scriptures. That's why the word of God has to take its precedent because it is the truth. And it's what we are going to be able to stand on to make sure that we are not having fiery darts shot into our minds. I also think that Satan intrudes into our thoughts through the world. He is the God of this world. Advertisements, the number of advertisements that, a, that a, a, an average American is hit with on a yearly basis is in the tens of thousands. You have tens of thousands of advertisements through social media, through radio, through TV, through magazines. Just think of all of the different venues that can give them to you. And they are worldly. The world realized a long time ago that sex sells, pride sells, shiny things sell, you know, and all the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. If I were an advertisement executive, which by the way, when I was a kid, that's what I wanted to do because I watched Bewitched and Darren was an advertisement executive. It was one of the jobs I was exposed to. And I thought I can do that job because I can draw. I am artistic, not autistic. I'm artistic and I can do those things. And I thought but that I can do that job. If I were a Christian, I should say if I understood the lust of the flesh, the lust of the, the uh, eyes and the pride of life, I could understand how to get into anybody's heart and try to get them to buy it. Advertisement is incredibly effective in persuasion. It's not just incredibly effective in what it should do. It should show the product and show you why it's helpful. And if you want it, show you how to get it. But that's not what it does. It, it tries to get you to want something and to tell you a false story about what something is. And they're very good at doing it. And I think that there is a demonic presence that's involved in the world. I'm not saying every, I'm, I'm not a preacher saying every advertisement's from the devil. All right. I'm just saying Satan uses it. And I think that we should clearly understand that. So in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, when it says casting down arguments, there's all kinds of arguments that goes against the Bible, that goes against you as a Christian and, and what the truth is. And we need to cast down those arguments. We end up believing them. And the, the, our children are more vulnerable, more vulnerable than ever. Our grandchildren are more vulnerable than ever today, more vulnerable than we were. And we were pretty vulnerable. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Now you've got the knowledge of God that we need to learn, that we want to learn more of, and there are high things that, that exalt themselves against God's knowledge. And then it says, bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus. And this is where we now know that we have to somehow get control of what's going on inside of our noggin, that it's going crazy. It's thinking fleshly things. It's thinking spiritual things. It's affecting us 
in ways that we do not understand. Listen to what Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, and it helps us to understand the biblical principle of replacing thoughts. If you try to stop thinking about something, the Bible certainly has negative commands. Don't think about these things. There are passages that will tell you that. But they are rare compared to the passages that tell you to think about these things. Because when you tell someone not to think about these things, then just the way that the mind works in stopping smoking. It, studies have shown that when a person thinks, I'm not going to have a cigarette, 10 minutes later, they're lighting one up. The thought, I'm not going to have a cigarette, is the actual thought that triggered them to go out and have a cigarette because you were thinking about cigarettes. You know, and you thought about the way that, I should, probably shouldn't do this, the way the first hit of nicotine feels. The rest of the cigarette isn't that good. But that first one, right? And I'm not even a smoker, all right? I just understand it. The same is true with, with drinking. The same is true with, with anything that you are struggling with. When you're thinking, I'm not going to do that, then those thoughts are a trigger in our mind that can end up leading to that. I think about sexual thoughts. I think about pornography. All of those things are true. And I think a lot of times preachers use triggers from the pulpit. They're trying to preach against something, but they end up using triggers that cause people to go down the very path they're trying to get them to not go down. And, and again, the Bible certainly talks about those things, but it talks far more about what we should be doing and far more about what we should be thinking. I heard one pastor say once that we should get busy doing the do so we don't have time to do the don'ts. And I like that with thinking as well. We should get our minds thinking about the do's and then we won't have time to think about the don'ts. That's the idea. And Colossians 3, 1 and 2 helps us with this. It says, if then... You were raised with Christ. When Jesus rose from the dead, spiritually, I was raised with him because that raising from the dead brought me back to life. It says, seek those things that are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things of this earth. So, he doesn't say, stop thinking about earthly things. He says, set your mind on the things that are above. And by doing so, we will not be thinking about the things of the earth. If you end up, I'm listening to an audiobook right now. It's a theological audiobook. And I have to, I'm going to have to listen to it again. I, I'm almost done with it. And I'm like, I'm going to have to listen to it again. In fact, my wife ordered a copy to be delivered to our house, which is a great thing now. Right? A copy to be delivered to our house from Target. So Target's delivering a book that I want, which is a theological book to my house. Supposed to get there on Saturday. So I can underline it and mark it because I'm, I'm not grasping all the things that are there. So I, I need to go over it again. When I'm driving down the road and I'm listening to this audiobook that's covering all of this deep things and has so many sightings in it, and I'm trying to remember where these things are at that he's talking about. I'm not thinking about anything else but about these godly things that I'm thinking about as I'm driving down the road. I've taken control of my thoughts during the time I'm driving by listening to this book. Now, it's challenging to me 
so that my thoughts don't wander a lot. I will find myself when I miss it, rewinding it because I started thinking about something else, right? So Psalms 1, 1 through 3 gives us some of the benefits of having a mind in the proper place. It says, blessed is the man, then it gives us three negatives, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. You're not listening to what ungodly people say, nor stands in the path of sinners. Means you're not hanging out with people when, where, where sinners are. Doesn't mean you don't know sinners or don't spend time with them. Nor sets in the seat of the scornful, where you're just kind of bitter, mocker, right? But his delight, this is the delight of the happy person. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law, he meditates day and night. And don't think about meditation like sitting in the lotus position, humming, emptying your mind. That's not what they mean by meditation. It means getting God's word in there and thinking it over and over and over again. Which is why I try to encourage you to memorize scripture so much. One of the best ways to start memorizing things is to find little verses that have deep meaning in it and memorize it. And then when you're laying in bed at night and you can't sleep, you could even say, I'm going to meditate on a verse every night before I go to lay down and start meditating on a verse. You start going over spiritual things while you're getting ready to go to sleep. So it says, meditate on it day and night. And then he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Think about how you can see where a wash is in the middle of the desert because of the trees. We're, we're, you're like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Where the wash isn't, there's not many trees. There are trees, but they're just not together. Then all of a sudden you see them where the source of water is. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season. You might say, well, I've been serving God for a while. And I'm not bearing much fruit for him in, in its season. Give it time. Brings forth fruit in season whose leaves also do not wither because we're in the constant source of the water of the word of God. And whatever we do will prosper. What an incredible promise if we will meditate on God's word day and night. Now, Romans 12, 2 and 3 tells us about renewing or transforming our minds. This is the passage. Verse 1 is the passage that tells us that we are to be living sacrifices. And then verses 2 and 3 say this about, and you'll see the, the, the transformation and how it's connected to the thoughts. Do not be conformed to this world. The world is very conforming. I, I think that we all think the way we think because of the world that's around us. And if we, go, if we went back to the 60s and could hear people talk, we would be shocked. And we're not even woke. The woke people would flip out, right? We would hear the way people talk and we would go, that's not appropriate. That's not the right thing to say. You don't say that. We're conformed by our world. All of us are. If we go into another culture, if we went into another time, we'd be shocked. It's one of the problems people make when they try to take Old Testament passages and bring them into the world today. You have, to, you have to get them back into their setting so that they'll make sense. Because you can't just transfer something from one culture to another. You've got to understand the culture in order to understand what's being said sometimes. So it says, do not be conformed by this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the transformation that takes place is by renewing our mind and that renewing our mind comes from the word of God. We're thinking about the things that are true and noble and virtuous and praiseworthy. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We've talked about that before. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. It's no wonder when he's talking about being conformed to the world and being transformed by God, by our minds, that we should stop thinking so well about ourselves. We've got to think of ourselves in reality. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. This is not false. It's not telling you to have false humility. You know, something that you're really good at, really good at. I like to use our singers um, that they're great in leading worship. But what if Andrea says, hmm, I'm really not that good. And we go, come on. We know that that would be false humility. That's not what we're saying. We're saying you don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. And pride is a, pride is an advertisement campaign to stick with the analogies of the evening that you're trying to sell yourself as better than people than you really are. That's what pride is. That's when you're prideful. You're trying to tell people you're better than you really and truly are. So it says that, um, so don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So it's our thinking that helps us to be transformed by our minds as we don't think of ourselves higher than we ought to, but we think soberly. We have that proper thinking that is there. Now let's break down our text, these two verses. First of all, I want us to look at the fact that Christians should think. I'm gonna talk a little bit about that. Second, that Christians should think righteously. These are the eight things he covered and we'll cover at least briefly all eight of them. And then finally, that we would think that, that, we, that Christians should live their thoughts. And I, I might even change this to Christians live their thoughts. Not Christians should live their thoughts, but you do. The things you think about, as we're going to see, are the things you do. So let's take a thought. Let's start, first of all, with the fact that Christians should think. And why would I say that? Because Christianity is emotional. It's emotional in a lot of ways. It's emotional when we're worshiping. It's emotional when we're convicted by God's word. It's emotional when we have the wrong response of condemnation from God's word. We feel condemned when God's telling us that something we're doing is wrong. We should not be condemned because there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. God is not condemning you. He's just convincing you that something has to change. That's emotional. All religion is emotional. When there's candles that, that are to be lit, when there's icons that represent religious things, when you walk into um, an Orthodox church or a Catholic church, there's an emotion that is there. Every bit as much as when you walk into a hyper-Pentecostal church. There's a lot of emotion going on there. Well, there is as well when you walk into a very traditional church. And when you walk into here, because God's done so much business with you, that when you walk in, when, when I walk into to our sanctuary, either one of them, if I'm by myself and it's just quiet, I have a real sense of satisfaction when I walk in. 
just because God's met me so many times here. So we can, we can often think that things are just emotional and we're, and we're not supposed to ever question anything about God or question his word or, or try to figure out what's being said. Mark Twain has all these quippy quotes, right? Mark Twain said about the Bible, it's not the things I don't understand about the Bible that bother me. It's the things I do understand that bother me. You ought to question the things that you read in the Bible. And that's okay. It's okay to go, what does this mean here when the Bible says this here? Now, there are some pastors that are gonna make you feel bad if you ever do that. And I wanna say, don't do that. Because how are we ever gonna come to the proper understanding of context, of the way you work through those things? When the Bible says one thing here and says what seems like a contradictory thing here, how are you ever gonna put them together if you don't go, that's something different? Instead of going, I'm just looking at God and I don't wanna hear that. As if there's something to fear by us really thinking and thinking things through. I want you to own these things. I mean, really own them. I want you to think them through, to look at the scriptures, to care about what you're, you're caring about. And so we should think. And so our text says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, it gives all this list. It says, meditate on these things. So taking God's word and breaking it down, taking the principles of the world and how they work with what God's word says, where the world stands against it, where the things of the world are with the word of God, where there may be doubts that you have about what the Bible says and think them through. And we should be of those who think. Proverbs 23, 7. This is one of those little verses that you could memorize easily. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. As he thinks in his heart, so is he. That tells us the things we think about are what we become. And so if we take control of saying, I'm going to get active about making sure I'm thinking the right things, that's going to be what you become in the future. Second Peter 3.8 says, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Knowing the word of God, knowing the principles of the word of God is not just for pastors, it's for all of us. And then it says to him, be the glory both now and forevermore. Hosea 4, 6a, the beginning of this passage, you'll know it well. My people perish for lack of knowledge. We just aren't doing the thinking we should be doing about the things that we find in the Bible. The second is that Christians should think righteously. And here is the heart of our passage. These are these eight things that we find here that we're supposed to think about. The first one, and like I said, I'm gonna briefly cover these, otherwise the sermon's way too long, all right? And this could be, because you could break these all down. The first thing we're supposed to think about is truth. The Bible says that part of our armor is the belt of truth. It's been said that the ancient Roman armor all attached to the belt. The breastplate attached to it, everything but the helmet, you know, the sword attached to it, everything attached to the belt. Truth, Jesus talked about a lot. Jesus had a conversation with Pilate about the truth. And Jesus said in John 17, uh, 17, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. I want to know what the truth is. 
I don't want to know what somebody says uh, that may be interesting or may be different enough to where it catches your... Th I want to know what the truth is and I want to study the truth. The second thing it says is whatever things are noble. Uh, noble is connected to sacrifice. When someone does something noble, they are putting their interests aside and they are now doing something for someone else. So when we are thinking about those things that are noble, remember we're thinking about things that we want to become. We're thinking about how to be sacrifices for the good of people around us. That's noble activity. And there's nobody who doesn't like noble. There are people who go, you should never be noble. Noble is something we should achieve, uh, that we should want to achieve. We do that by learning how to sacrifice for other people, setting our, our interests aside and living for other people. Then it says just, whatever things are just. This is connected to how we treat people. We don't want to treat people unjustly. I've said often, and I think it's so true, what, God matters, mo what, God, what matters most to God about you is not whether or not you go off to the side of the building and light up a cigarette, keeping in the theme of the night, lighting up a cigarette. And, and we think, God hates us. I can't believe I'm a horrible Christian. I'm smoking. The Bible never says, don't roll up leaves and suck them into your lungs. I'm not sure it's a good idea. I don't think you should be doing it, right? We know health, it's wrong. Or for our health, it's bad. However, God cares far more about the way you're treating your wife if you're mistreating her than he does about whether or not you light up a cigarette. God cares far more about the way that you are treating the, your employees or your employer. That's the things God cares about. And we could go on making that point, but I think we get it. The third thing is pure. This is interesting. When you think about pure, we have pure orange juice. It's a good ring. We have pure orange juice. It's not contaminated, right? Uh, in Israel, during the law, there are some parts of the law that are really confusing. Like, why couldn't they mix different materials together? You weren't supposed to have two different kinds of material. Which means, by the way, everything I'm wearing breaks the law. And almost everything you're wearing. I, I, I'm not willing to say there's not somebody here that has 100% cotton on somewhere, all right? But most of us have polyester, which is, would be forbidden. You lawbreaker, you know? So why did God do that? You couldn't plant two crops in the same field. God didn't want them intermarrying not with other races. Remember, Moses married an Ethiopian woman. Remember that, the, that Ray, uh, Mo, um, uh, Ruth marries Boaz, who is David's grandfather. It wasn't that. It was that he didn't want them intermarrying someone who didn't want to live God's laws. Ruth said, your God will be my God your people will be my people. Now they could get married. People think that the Bible is racist. They'll say, well, the Bible's racist in the Old Testament because they couldn't marry people from other nations. You're wrong. They could marry people from other nations as long as they became Jewish. 
They didn't have to be born Jewish. They had to become Jewish. And God wanted purity. And so he gave them all of these laws to speak of purity so that we would know that we are not to mix righteousness with unrighteousness and think they're okay. That's what all of these laws are saying. There's not to be a mixture. There's even a way, and I'm not going to get into it, but there's even a way that the kosher laws were not about mixing. That's just a little teaser. We'll cover that in another point. But God was speaking to them about purity when he was talking to them about what they could eat. And so God's saying, whatever things are pure, that we would think about those pure, righteous things. Whatever things are lovely. I don't think I have to go into great detail. Whatever things are of a good report. How often do we want to hear things that are a bad report? I listened to a podcast that was the number one podcast in America for a while. It's the number one Christian podcast still today called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. It's about the church in Seattle, how it became 15,000 members, and how it closed down completely in 2000 and whatever it was, 16 or 15. And it was a bad report. But I, I wanted to listen to it because I wanted to see the inner workings of what was going on, how that connects to what we're doing. And I suggest that every young pastor listen to all of those. There's, I think, 11 of them, all of those podcasts, because they're going to understand power abuse. Uh, they're going to understand pastoral ethics better. A lot of it. But I do like the fact, this was done by Christianity Today, the magazine Christianity Today. I do like the fact that they also talked about the good things about the church Mars Hill. And because of all of the good things that were happening, it allowed the abuse of power to happen. But if we're just listening to something because it's about them falling apart, that's a bad report. We want, to, we want to be looking at good reports. Doesn't mean we close our eyes and we can't learn anything from a bad report. But I, but I think a lot of the, the, the reason that it's become the most popular podcast among Christians is because it's a bad report. It's like failure. How did this 15,000 member church fail? And, and they want to get it. Not, again, I, watch, I listen to it, all right? But I think it's a good example between a good report and a bad report. Any virtue... So think of things that are virtuous as opposed to things that are not. And anything praiseworthy, anything we can lift up, anything we could tell people about, anything that we could lift up and give praise about. Do you know that the human heart is made to praise? I'm so late, by the way. The human heart is made to praise. When you do something that you really enjoy, you like to tell people about it. When something good happens to you, you get really excited about it. You want to tell them? You won't believe what happened. You know, I, I, I went to the store and there was this for this price. And you're talking up something that just happened to you. How much more then should we be praising God? Let me get to the last verse because I'm late. Verse nine, the things which you learned and received. Now, Paul's going on now. And the things that you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. So he's talked to them about two paths of getting your actions into order. The first one is getting your thoughts right. And the second one is watching people who are living their lives the way they're supposed to. You are supposed to be this example. 
I'm definitely supposed to be the example. In 1 Peter, when it talks about shepherds, pastors, it says, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, so you don't become a pastor because you have to, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. A lot of ministries even are, are set up for dishonest gain. Nor as lords over those who entrusted to you, power abuses, but being examples to the flock. That's what we're supposed to do. Be an example to the flock so that as you see the things in my life, then you are encouraged in the things of Christ. And in Ephesians 4.11, talking about what pastors do for the church, it says, and he himself gave some, this is Ephesians 4.11 and 12, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. You guys are doing the work of the ministry. And so you are to live for Christ so the people around you can see Christ. It's a huge part of our evangelism that people see us. And when we invite them to church, they're more, they're more prone to listen to it. When you ask them, do you believe in eternity? When you start asking questions, hopefully that will open up these areas. I have two things in closing. Number one is a, a cute little poem from a guy by the name of Paul Gilbert. You may have heard this before. It says, he says in this poem, you are writing a gospel. You are writing a gospel, a chapter each day by deeds that you do, by words that you say. Men read what you write, whether faithless or true. Say, what is the gospel according to you? Just a good reminder that we are living our lives for Christ in front of people. Three things quickly as a takeaway. Use the freedom you have in Christ for edification. We, be, we are the most free. People try to put trips on us and try to lock us down all the time, but we are free. But you're free to be able to learn more about God, to be able to be used more by God. You're free in an, a, the age of information to learn as much information about the Bible and what it says about our living God than ever before. Use the time you drive, the time you, you work when you can listen to something, the time when you're doing something that's mindless and you don't need to think about it a lot. Use it for edification and to grow spiritually. The more you do that, the less time you'll have to think bad things, which will result in bad doing. And you can put good things into your mind, which is going to result in good doing. This is something you can take. It's a positive action that you can take that is going to affect your behavior because what you think is what you do. Second, take in the word of God. Take as much of it in as you can. Read it, study it, and memorize it. I told you that I'm studying a theological book right now because I wanted to be challenged. I wanted to be challenged beyond things that I know. And so I, and I want to know more about God's word. And so I'm looking for those things. Find something you're really interested in. Here recently, someone told me that God condoned slavery in the Bible. And I said, Exodus 21, 16 says, if a man kidnaps a man, he shall die. And if the kidnapped is found in the presence of anyone, they will die. God chattels and pre um, antebellum slavery, the Atlantic trade, trade um, slavery is not in the Bible. If you kidnapped anyone, you would die. If you owned anyone that was kidnapped, 
you would die. It's more lengthy, but it's indentured servanthood that's in the Bible. They didn't have prisons. And if you owed people debts, then you would become their servant. And there's all kinds of laws about how servants are. You guys are wondering, why is he talking about this at the end of a message? I'll tell you in a minute. There are all kinds of laws about how you were to treat servants right. I wonder if that stirs up inside of you guys to go and study it more. It could be just something that you find that you go, I want to know more about that. Get into the word of God. Find about things you've got questions about. Dive in. And finally, take time to meditate. Take time to think about scriptures you know. The Lord's Prayer, you know it by heart. Psalms 23, you know it by heart. Take the things you know by heart and sit down quietly and think about what they say and what they mean. You know what you're going to find as you start thinking about something? You're going to find that you're going to discover things you were never told, but are truths in it. Great men of the past would sit and think. They'd just sit in a chair and think. I find that incredible. Tesla used to just sit and think. Just sitting in a chair. What are you doing? I'm thinking. Maybe we ought to do more th sitting and thinking about God's word. Just sit down, put that brain power to work on something and let God do what God's going to do. And our actions are going to come in line on the things we're thinking. Stand with me, would you? <laughs> and let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. It is so rich and so incredible. Thank you that your word tells us about how we are supposed to think and how we're supposed to live. And may we grab a hold of these truths that will change our behavior. This is something active that we can do that will change our behavior in the future. And we pray that we would do it. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.